podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to one of the 10 best English-language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Welcome back, listeners. It's Mike and Tito here again discussing another very frustrating Fiorentina game. I was trying to come up with something funny, but to be honest, uh, there really isn't much of anything to talk about other than Pezzella should be getting a contract before Prade does next. Tito, I don't know about you, man. Very frustrated, like I said. How you feeling? I'm very glad that we are here together in this place, getting to share our opinions about things that are important. And that's about all I can uh, pull out of here that isn't awful. Yeah, you know, I, I feel bad starting off this without, you know, some kind of humor, you know, feeling very depressed, certainly not livening it up for our, our, our audience here. But I mean, you know, to be honest, uh, here I am taking time away from the kids on a Sunday after a Fiorentina loss where there just doesn't seem to be any type of direction. So I'm not going to make it any better than it should be. So here we are. Tell you what, let's do the opposite of Fiorentina. Let's make the first 86 minutes of this podcast just absolutely terrible and then have four minutes of absolute genius right at the end, and that'll keep people around. (laughs) That would actually not be a bad thing. With that, we should probably stop talking about the 2-2 at Spezia today because it's still a little bit fresh. As you can see, we're both a little bit heated about this one still, so we're just going to take another day and kind of gain some perspective on this and maybe have something useful to contribute after that. Because right now, if we talk about that game, I'm just going to descend into a cloud of profanity like an handicap cartoon with fists and lines coming out of it. So let's instead go with Mike. What are you drinking today? Just water. Very boring. Just water. How about you? Since I woke up at 5 a.m. for that, I decided that here it is, 11 o'clock, 11.30, and I am going to have a little bit of beer from a local Seattle brewery, the Triple R Alley Tavern, Vince's Stout, and it is pretty dang good. Thanks, Triple R Alley Tavern and Vince. Sounds delicious. Sounds delicious. I will say this. Uh, yesterday, my mom came down. I uh, got to see her for the first time in a couple months. You know, all the pandemic kind of messes up everybody's plans, which allowed us to break into a couple bottles of Brunello. So shout out to my mom. Thanks for coming down and enjoying some wine. We really do need to get sponsored by Brunello. It's some, like some kind of a Brunello <laughs> outfit here because you are keeping them in business, I feel like. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, in that case, let's go ahead and raise our respective glasses here. And if we can't, toast to any game results how about we toast to some players because we do have a couple of birthdays on thursday yanni arnth and marta mascarello both had birthdays yanni arnth turned 34 
Marta Mascarello turned 22. So happy birthday to both of them. Two really good players, really important to this team, and we wish them both the best. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that they're probably both feeling a little bit down today, too. Very happy birthday to both. Obviously, Marta, I think, uh, is going to be around for a very long time, future of the club. So have to have to be happy for her. And if that's not the happiest tone we can summon forth here, I don't <laughs> know what is. All right. I'm trying. I, you really are making an effort, man. I'm genuinely <laughs> impressed. Just looking at you, you look, just look really unhappy, man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, right. yeah, we were talking about how my hat just turned sideways. It just does it on its own for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a it's like a propeller with just one uh one arm <laughs> swinging around trying to levitate you into good thoughts, not yep. going hard enough. All right, well, so for our last podcast, which took me you know a week and a half to actually finish producing, which is my bad, and also very sorry, Doctor Nicola Corvaya for. I don't think in that one that we even really discussed the Mercato. So let's just touch on that real briefly now that it's been closed and we've had some time for the dust to settle and really get an idea of what we're looking at. And unfortunately, Mike, if we're talking about the Mercato and we're talking about Fiorentina, we're also talking about Federico Chiesa. And I have a feeling this isn't going to cheer you up a whole lot, is it? It does cheer me up a little bit because it actually gives me somewhere to take my anger. You know, he's somehow turned himself into a villain inside of Florence. And that takes a lot, you know, to go from, you know, that boyhood kid who's going to be coming up and becoming the hero and overnight becoming just a villain, the way that he approached it. And and and, and listen, I hear what everybody says. He has every right to leave. I agree with that. He has every right to want to go where he wants to go. I agree with that. But to hear some of the information that's leaked out about him, agreeing to a contract extension, standing up Joe Baroni at the Centro Sportivo Davide story, sending Ramadani to actually say he's not going to show as Joe is sitting there waiting to sign this contract is just shameful, unprofessional. And it goes back to what I've been saying. Federico Chiesa was born with an incredible gift of speed, talent, and I'm sure he's worked very hard over the years to develop those skills. Unfortunately, his father never instilled in him any type of tact, decency, humility. Uh, and I think that those are all skills that, as he continues to grow on the world stage now at Juve, are going to be something that leads him wanting for more. Those are the things where, as he has a game like yesterday, gets a red, probably is one of the reasons why Juve didn't win that game. That's going to be one of those things where it's going to hurt him as he's getting some of the negative press and social media response that he has. Secondly, what burned me even more was the fact that after he left, he did not take out a page in the newspaper. He did not make a social media plea to the fans saying that he's sorry that he's leaving, but you know, just the way his career is going. He didn't thank them for the years of standing by him as the rest of Italy yelled, booed, and screamed as he flopped and you know died like a fish on the, on the pitch. He also did not call our, our president, uh, Rocco Camiso, to, to thank him, not only for helping him in his career, but also 
helping him get to, to Juve in a contract that is not the best for Fiorentina. I, I think that the, the amount of money, if it turns out to being 60, it's 50 with 10 million in bonuses. If it gets to 60, that's great. I think 60 million in this market for Chiesa is a, a wonderful amount of money. But what we're seeing right now, and, and we're going to get into the rest of the Mercado, not having that money up front and not having that money for three years is impeding Fiorentina who continues to want to abide by rules that nobody else does, not only in Serie A, but across Europe for financial fair play. It's, it's, it's hurting our ability to then go and buy that talent because 50 million, 40 to 50 million is going to be coming in a, a, another two and a half years, which means based off of financial fair play, fair play laws, that two-year look back and aggregated period doesn't start for that money until June and July of 2021. For many reasons, I think that he should have been much more humble. He should have been much more endearing and embracing uh, of the fans in Florence. I think he has permanently scarred that relationship. And the same thing should be said with his father. So, you know, that actually made me feel better, to be honest. (laughs) So, you know, I'm not sure about you, bud, but that did make me feel better. I am genuinely impressed that he took the time to hire Vince McMahon to script his heel turn on his way out of Florence. I thought that was a really nice (laughs) storyline touch. I can't really add anything, especially looking at some of the teams he had been surrounded with in Florence. Like, who was his best ever teammate going forward in Florence? Half a season of Luis Muriel, probably. And other than that, it was... Kevin Morales and poor Marco Piazza and uh, Gerson and just this rotating cast of misfit toys who never put it together. Much like the uh, Spezia game here, I don't have anything else nice to say, so I am going to very smoothly change the subject so we can talk about Nikola Milenkovic a little bit, who is, despite what every Milan fan on Twitter would have you believe, not a Rossonero. He is still in Florence and still playing for Fiorentina. I think that it is very good for Fiorentina to be able to retain him. And I do believe, and we'll probably get into this a a little bit later, I do believe if we had a good leader, uh, not talking about Rocco, uh, a leader at the director of sport level, there is an actual logical way that this can play out. And and what do I mean there? We we know that Folly is is motivated by these contracts and the amount of money he gets off of them. You know, when he signs these young kids, he puts in a bulk load of percentage fees that he's getting on these contracts. Milankovic being one of them. Knowing that and the motivation for every decision he makes being this one uh, another one, what needs to be done is Prade needs to go to him and say, I understand how you're motivated, how you're doing your business. It's going to be based off of the fees for a sale. The way that we can best sell this player for the maximum amount of money is if you give us an extension, we'll sign you to three million, three and a half, whatever it needs to be. That's going to increase your next raise as you go to the next club. And we'll put in a clause of 60, 65 million euro. So instead of playing or paying, selling this player for 30, 
maybe 35 million, maybe it's even 25 million in January. Fiorentina can actually keep him through June, which is going to be a one a win for us, allowing us to have another full season with him. We can sell him for more. Folly can get more money as a result of selling him at a higher rate. And Milinkovic is going to have another year in a city that I do believe he loves. Uh, I think he is uh, almost dictated by Folly in this situation, but he's also going to stay in a city that he loves for more money. You know, so getting that type of a pay increase, I think, is honestly the best case scenario for everybody involved. Milinkovic, his agent, Fiorentina, and the fans. That's what should play out. Unfortunately, cooler heads don't prevail. Unfortunately, I don't know if there are thought leaders uh, with inside of Fiorentina to be able to get this thing done. So while I think it's good that he's here now, he's very likely going to be leaving in January for somewhere around 25, maybe 30 million. And that would be a real punch in the crotch because he is becoming one of my favorite guys to watch on the team, honestly. There's a little bit of background. Uh, Milenkovic is making 800,000 euros a year right now. His contract comes up at the end of 2022. We can preface this by saying that 800,000 euros a year is pretty good money, but also let's keep in mind that that puts him in the bottom half of the earning table for this squad. He hasn't had a contract raise, I think, since, oh boy, since what, 2017 maybe? 2018? So it's definitely time to get him a raise. The fact that it's taken this long, I think, is hugely problematic. It was always obvious mm-hmm. that he was going to become the player that he is. Like he, he didn't jump up and surprise anyone. We've been expecting him to take this step for at least two years now. He took it at the end of last season. And I think that Fiorentina absolutely shot their own feet by not offering him a new contract with a big raise and an even bigger buyout clause, I I think the failure to do that is just a glaring, glaring mistake from Viola management. So I'm I'm with you. I think that, barring a miracle, I think Milenkovic is gone maybe this winter, maybe at the end of next year. You can't necessarily blame him for this. I certainly don't. If you're a top player, you want to play with other top players. And that's, that's not happening for him right now, if we're being honest. It's such a failure of planning on the team's part. And then if you know you're going to lose him a year or two out, get his replacement in town. Get that player integrated into the squad so that when he leaves, it's a fairly seamless transition. As is, it's such a mess over there. I have nothing else good to say here. I just want to make sure that we uh, talk more about Lucas so that way you can say his name more. I mean, you say, it, it's pure poetry when you say it. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm glad you're back to finding some positives in here, Mike. I appreciate that because I think now I need that. You know, I I think with Milankovic, though, you brought up a good point. You know, there was no foresight. But at the same time, let's go back to last year, around this time when Prade, Joe Baroni, and and, and even Rocco Camisa were talking about the extensions of Vlahovic, of Castrovilli, of Milankovic and Chiesa. Really, the only one that got done was Castrovilli. And, and thankfully, another one is being discussed right now to extend that contract even longer. What we heard several times, though, as these extensions were being discussed is, 
You know, it, 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 we have plenty of time. It, it's not necessarily a priority right now. You know, we, we want to, you know, make sure that we are focusing on the field and, and we'll come back at a couple months down the road. Same thing happened a couple months later when it was brought up again. Well, you know, we have plenty of time. When you do this type of stuff, the way that Prade does, he doesn't focus on the Mercado at the beginning of the Mercado. He focuses on it 72 hours before it ends. He doesn't focus on contracts when they need to be renewed. He focuses on them when people are, are you know, ringing the bells and, and, and shaking the walls saying, I want to leave, I want out. What are you going to do? You have no leverage whatsoever. You did them in no favor because you actually made them play on wages that were very unfair. So if that's the type of company we are under Prade, I have no problem with these players deciding that they don't have an allegiance because we have been milking them for everything they're worth while not paying them the value that they're worth. So it's very unfortunate. I think that there is definitely a systemic issue inside of the club right now, and it's hemorrhaging in many different areas that probably don't need to be hemorrhaging if there was better business sense going into it. Well, that takes us right into our next topic here, because everything that you just said could also very easily be applied to Herman Petzela, who is publicly stated that he wants to sign a contract extension. He's the club captain, which at Florence now is just basically means that you're the next one to leave on a free transfer, it seems like. Uh, he's, he's another guy who is probably underpaid relative to his impact 1.2 million euros per year which makes him what tied for ninth in the earning table which again 1.2 million euros a year is a big honking pile of money but we're also talking about a guy who's the club cap i would say one of the best defenders in Serie A. why would you not say oh okay cool like let's pay him let's up his salary to 1.5 1.8 you know here's one of your senior figures of the club he's still in his prime why this deal isn't getting done is something I genuinely don't understand. Do you have any kind of insight here? Uh, you know, insight somewhat, but uh, definitely a lot of questions. I'm, I mean, from an insight standpoint, uh, you know, we, we have a conversation that's coming up with Stefano Del Crono and a couple others that are over there we get to talk with from time to time. And, and it seems like there is, again, a systemic shift from – a, a philosophical shift from where we were pre-Prade to where we are now. What does that mean? That means we were a team that was investing and developing young talent that looked like potential superstars, signing them on contract extensions to now putting those on hold and bringing in older players on Bozeman. You know, you have the list in front of you. So if you have a moment, you know, validate this. But I'd imagine above Petzela is Ribery, is going to be Jack. You're going to see Young. You're going to see a lot of these players, Valero. I think Valero's on par with, with uh, Petzela at this point. Isn't he around that 1.2 mark? Valero uh, is at one? reported at one even, yeah. So he's a shade One under. even, okay. Just to list this out for you real quick, players earning more. Go for it. Ribéry's on $4 million a year. Callejon is at 2.2. Sofian Amrabat, Jack Bonaventura, and Patrick Cutrone are all at 1.5. Castrovilli's at 1.4. Alfred Duncan and Eric Pulgar are at 1.3. And then Cristiano Baraghi, Martin Cáceres, Christian Cuame, and Germán Tetzela all at 1.2. And I don't think that any of those guys, except maybe Ribéry, 
maybe Castrovilli, but honestly, probably not. I don't think any of those guys mean as much to the club as Petzella. Castrovilli certainly will, and he deserves all the money. And, and I think that that investment is wise. You pay him now to avoid the frustrations in the future of him feeling just like Chiesa and Milenkovic are. You, you, you pay him now. So I, I agree with that. Oh, sure. But I also agree with what you said. I absolutely agree with everything that you said. Why are all of these players on Bozeman being brought in and just given huge wages? Why is a player who, yes, we did sign and pay for him in a transfer, but he has performing year over year over year takes over the captaincy under some of the worst circumstances you could ever imagine and and got the team to once again stand up as I'm sure none of them could even imagine it after what happened. I don't get it personally. And that is what we're hearing, that, that for some reason they're willing to pay these players coming in for free at the end of their careers more so than the younger ones who have been here who have meant so much to the club to retain them. And, and it's absolute it's just asinine to think about how we're we're approaching and even disrespecting our players to allow also during this market a lot of the negative things that were said about Petzela without speaking out I think is another mistake that Prade had and and a lot of the brass inside of Fiorentina thankfully after the market closes Petzela did put out his Instagram post Twitter post whatever it was and 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 said, no, you know, that's not me. I wasn't trying to push this. I want to stay with inside the city. I love this club. I'd love an extension. And now uh, yesterday or today, you actually even see his wife, girlfriend, partner come out publicly stating that they would love a contract extension. But it's Fiorentina that is not moving forward with these. I don't understand any logic where we are not rewarding our top players. And this is not, so So let me just state this. This is not me calling out Rocco Camiso because I respect Rocco way too much. I think the world of him, and I know that what he's doing is for the best of the city and the best for the fans and, and for the team. But I'll say this, Rocco has consistently told me, told us, told the world that he is a loyal guy. And I know he is, absolutely. But he loves loyalty in, in, in return. There's nobody more loyal than Herman Pizzella. I mean, look at everything that he's done with giving up his body, with giving up, you know, so many opportunities for him to go to a better club in the prime of his career. But to captain this team, it, it should mean a lot. You know, this is one of those things where, again, not calling him out, I would like to ask very nicely, very respectfully that Rocco Camiso would intervene and recognize that loyalty needs to be rewarded. That is one of the things that I believe it's a precedent he needs to set with inside the culture of Fiorentina, within the culture of Firenze, within the culture of Serie A, that if you perform, Fiorentina will pay you accordingly. They will reward you for that performance. I don't necessarily know if that's what Fiorentina is recognized as right now. And that is also one of the reasons why when you look to a Mercado and why a player like Milik doesn't want to come here, it's because they recognize that the best players aren't actually rewarded and paid appropriately. They, for whatever reason, look to pay older players at the end of their career. It, it is very confusing. It is very frustrating. And I would even go to say infuriating. That is a good alliterative end to that little segment. So now that we've discussed how well everything just went, Mike, what kind of grade would you give the Mercato if it came in late 
to your classroom and handed you its homework. What grade are you putting on that homework? Uh, speaking of late, yeah, all the work was done at the end, two o'clock in the morning for seven o'clock class that you have. You know, I, I, we did write about this and, and I'll stick with my grade. You know, I, I think I put a six out of 10. I do believe it's somewhere between a five and a half and a six. We started off the transfer window getting very excited. But there was very little work when you look at it. You know, Bonaventura had to, you know, be, I guess, somewhat convinced to come. But the options were, were somewhat limited. Fiorentina was the best one for him. And we were willing to pay some wages that were very, very competitive. Valero would have probably paid us a million dollars to come and play at Fiorentina. Uh, so that wasn't any kind of work by Prade. Those two things had everybody excited, uh, one, because of the potential of bringing in an, an Italian national, as well as bringing back the mayor of Florence, who everybody knows, loves, and, and respects deeply. Flash forward, you know, I think that a lot of people expected a lot more to happen in between Valero coming on and being announced and uh, when we actually started working within those last 72 hours. Again, you know, I'm simplifying it. I'm sure that there was work being done, but it, it doesn't seem like it. So again, I'm simplification of it. Why Chiesa is sold on the last day, why we didn't replace him, and whether it's a player of similar uh, characteristics on the team uh, in that 3-5-2, because it's a glaring hole right now, or it just actually bringing on some young talent that gives us hope towards the future. As a Fiorentina fan, that's what I've been so accustomed to, is selling players for a lot of money and then going out and buying two younger players that you wait maybe you know two, three years to fully develop, uh, but they're going to be world-class. Why we didn't by Richie, you know, is, is a very frustrating thing for me. I, I wanted him. Uh, he's a future Italian national and that midfield, a lot of people say he could be one of the best midfielders in Italy over the next four or five years. That type of pairing with Castrovilli had me very excited. But for some reason, again, we walked away from that 15 million to bring him in, knowing that if we wait more, it's going to go up to 20 and then 25 we're, we're going to price ourselves out again, or at the very least, we're going to spend more money, which means you can't spend it elsewhere. It, it, it was a very frustrating Mercado. Uh, I know a lot of people are complaining about the, the, the forwards not bringing in one. Who would we bring in? Honestly, Milik didn't want to come here. And he, he, he apparently made that very clear to begin with. So why did we waste our time there? And not look outside of the, the standard people inside of Serie A. Like, you do realize there are forwards that don't already play on, on the boot of Italy. Like, there are people who play in those positions in England, in Spain, in France, in Germany, and all those other countries that make up the EU. Why in the world does Prade not have his fingers, you know, out there making dials into some of these other places to bring in somebody that is serviceable? Like, it doesn't only have to be leftovers from Serie A that, you know, washed out in, in previous opportunities. So I, I think it was uh, overall a, a big miss up until we brought in, and I'm not going to say his name because I'm hoping that you're going to say it for me. Lucas That's Martinez my man. <laughs> <laughs> until he came in, this was very, very sad of a window. But I do believe, based off of what we've seen, on his video, what we've read of him as a player, what comes out of South America, 
this is a kid that is going to turn into be a very, very good player. And hopefully that happens because he is the one that definitely saved this Mercado from being the, the, the overall show that it, it could have been without him. So uh, long answer, 5.5 up to 6 out of 10. I'll kick it back to you. I, as usual, am a little more pessimistic than you are. I think it's probably a 5, maybe a 4.5. Bringing in LMQ, I think we could go ahead and abbreviate for him now, is obviously a huge, huge move. I think, yeah, he's got everything he needs to be a fantastic player. If you watched Argentina's international games, he was probably the best player on the field at times. And when you're on Messi's team and you're the best player on the field, that speaks well of you generally. Yeah, bringing back Borja, that's just a gimme. Like, bringing in Bonaventura, great. Bringing in Callejon, great. Both good, solid, complementary pieces. Also, keeping hold of Milenkovic, keeping hold of Petzela, both big positives. However, like you said, losing Chiesa on the last day, when what we have heard from Beppe Iacchini was that the reason he made Chiesa the captain against uh, Sampdoria was because he had been told that Chiesa was not being sold. That's not a good look. I I think that is just a huge catastrophe there. And the failure to bring in anyone young, unless you want to count Luis Munteanu, I I think that the failure to bring in more young talent, especially in the attack, is going to come around to bite this team in a big way. There just aren't any really dynamic players in this attack right now, as we've seen through several games. There are some guys who can occasionally create some magic. Frank Ribéry is still who he is and is going to do some cool stuff no matter what. But there isn't anyone like Chiesa who can just decide at any moment to turn it on. And the failure to replace that ability is just glaring. The fact that this team went from being the youngest in the five major European leagues just two years ago and is now definitely not. That's a huge problem. And I think also the failure to move on some of the players who were seen as surplus. Ricky Saponara, who seems like a genuinely lovely man and for whom I hope nothing but the best, barring brief cameos and grim losses, he's not really going to play. Same for Tofel Montiel. He needs to go out and play. Same for Valentin Eseric. He's not going to see the field. Why keep the poor guy in Florence? Let him go live his life and get some minutes somewhere else. The inability to move these guys on to places that will benefit the club and benefit them is astonishing. The lack of young talent coming in, astonishing. There was not anything resembling the amount of quality coming in compared to the amount of quality that went out. The pieces that came in don't really move the needle on their own. So yeah, I'll say I'll say a four point five to a five. That did sound grim, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> As that was leaving my mouth, I was like, "Oh no, this is going to sound like someone needs to break into this bunker and come give me a hug or something." <laughs> a Care Bear stare or something, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I would take that too. That does actually move us on to our next topic pretty well, and you might have guessed the answer to this, but Mike and I are still going to talk it over. Is Daniela Prade the right man for the job right now? What do you think, Mike? (laughs) One reason why he is the right man is because Rocco Camiso and Joe Barone still have not 
got ingrained in Seria, understand the people, the politics, the relationships yet. A lot of those relationships are still Daniele Prades. So in order to go out there and find another uh, director of sport, you, you need to have those. So why is he the right guy? Honestly, I think it's who else are they going to bring in? And I'm fearful that, again, it's going to turn into this revolving door of people who already have relationships with Fiorentina. And I don't think that that's what they need to move the needle. Uh, so unless that they're willing to literally go out there and hold open interviews for people that have great potential, have uh, maybe even had some great performances in, in similar positions outside of Italy, I'm not sure what we do with this position. So that's not, that's the one that I can give you. I will ask uh, answer the question, though. So is he the right person for the job? No. I'm glad we started with Prade um, because, in my opinion, he is the buck star, stops here kind of guy. We can, you know, go down the whole waterfall here uh, of everybody else, but the biggest issue inside of Florence, inside of Fiorentina, is Daniele Prade. I know Rocco has come out and said, don't attack my guys. If you attack my guys, you're going to attack me. I'm not attacking Daniele Prade, but I will comment on the performance that he has done. Uh, I am going to be working on a, a, an article that goes into Daniele Prade's performance inside of Fiorentina. He has hired Montella. He got rid of Montella and brought in Beppe. He then confirmed Beppe at the end of the year. Uh, Rocco, of course, approved all of these. But when you start taking a look at the performances he has had in the transfer window, so far we've already said hello and goodbye to Boateng, Pedro, Aguadelo. He's been here for 16, 17 months at this point. To, to say hello and goodbye to that many people uh, is insane. We've heard Camiso talk somewhat glaringly about turning over 80% of the club. Well, you know, when you start talking about turning over your own players already, like that's an issue. Then you start taking a look at our bench. Our bench is absolutely stocked full of players that he paid very good money for. Duncan should not be on the bench. So when we get to Akini, that's, that's definitely an issue there. But Duncan's on the bench. Larola has been on the bench up until Chiesa uh, was, was sold. Pulgar has been on the bench. Igor on the bench. You know, the list goes on and on. So, number one, I think that he has done a, a very bad job on the coaching situation and even almost worse situation with the transfer market. And when you match those two together, we'll get to Akini, but I think that Prade is, is the, the, the villain here because he has not provided Beppe with the talent he needs to run his system. Beppe has, has said it more than once that I'm a 3-5-2 guy. I, I can't remember who said it on our site today, uh, but you know, some, one of the, the, the readers and posters said you know, he's a train and a, and a train only runs on tracks. And I thought that that was a, a brilliant statement in our, our message boards today. And, and that's the, the easiest way to sum it up. So if that's the case, and Prade does not go and get the talent, you're, you're setting up the coach to fail. And I think that he's okay with that because, and I go back to Prade's conference after the Mercado, the day after, his comment was, this team is prepared to win. We have great talent. All Beppe needs to do is coach it up. He threw it right on Beppe's uh, lap at that point. And it was one of those, hey, if we, if we lose, it's not me. It's that guy. 
Like it's it's Beppe doing a bad job because I did a great job. I brought in all the great players, and and I think that based off of your four and a half to five, my five and a half to to six, uh, the market was not very good. And I think uh, in hindsight, if we go back to January and last summers, uh, the the regrades of those would be as bad, if not even worse, at this point. So long answer as usual. Yes, question. Uh, so I have to give it. So, but I'm curious, you know, do you differ at all? Do you have a, a good of why he is the, the person or uh, any thoughts on if he's not the right, you know, why, why not? I think you're dead on about that. He is not the right guy. You are also correct about why he is still there because he has been doing this for a long time. He knows all the ins and outs in Serie A, how to get business done in a way that Rocco, that Joe Barone, that, Guys like Dario Dinelli don't know because they're much newer to this. So, yeah, you definitely want that experience. But sometimes you got to find someone fresh. Frade has always been a guy who hitches his cart to older, experienced players. I think we've seen that the first time that he was in Florence. And it seems like he's trying to replicate that now over these past couple of windows. And it's not working. When you get a new owner sinking all of this money into the club. You kind of need to tear everything down and start from scratch. Bringing in all of these older guys, big contracts, selling out your young players, stripping the club of assets effectively, isn't the way to do that. I don't know if his bigger plan is basically to just get through this year and then bring in a big-name coach and give him carte blanche to sign whoever he wants and fill out what will at that point be a pretty empty roster. But I don't think that's a great idea because you got to get to next season. And what we've seen from Fiorentina this year, that's not going to do it. You know, one of the biggest differences between his first time around and this time around is right now there is no Villarreal. The, the Yellow Submarines, they literally were a sinking ship that were in such bad shape financially that allowed us to go in there and pilfer somewhat damaged goods maybe but great talent for very very little dollars that was the biggest thing that in my opinion made his first tenure here a, a big success was Villarreal's uh, financial situation their collapse uh, inside of uh, of Spain and and it's that financial concern uh, that has me most concerned while while the whole entire Yakini situation is going to still play out, I am fearful of giving somebody with such power over finances and player personnel another Mercado, knowing that we've already got rid of Sotil, Chiesa. Now, had you done your job to begin with and got rid of Chiesa, then you would think, maybe I can keep Sotil here. But both are now gone. We've lost a lot of other younger talent. We've fizzled away the talent that we've actually purchased on the club here. So, uh, you know, I actually think when, we, when you look at it, and, and I'd imagine that if you go to, uh, was the transfermarket.com, the value of the team that he inherited versus the value of the team that's here now, we're, we're probably far lower than what he took over. And, and I do have a lot of concerns about if he has another Mercado or two, where we're going to be going because we know Rocco plays by the rules of, of financial fair play. We're bringing in players on Bozeman, giving them huge contracts, but it's not like we can sell them. And we're already selling the younger talent. 
So what else is going to be here a year or two when those Bozeman players leave? There's no more talent to attract the older players to come in uh, and, 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 you know, have a competitive team. So you're, you're really in dire straits. So I, I am mostly concerned about Prade keeping his job more so than Yakini. I get it. People are watching the games just as I am and getting very frustrated. But I, I do have a different mindset when I'm approaching this type of situation. I am a businessman in real life. I pretend to be a journalist. I pretend to do podcasts. I pretend to all these you know, things. But I am, I am a businessman. I, I get this side of what's going on, and that's why it scares me most. I'm absolutely willing to follow your instincts because my professional background is pretty much the opposite of business. But since you did mention Beppe Yakini, I think we got to talk about the yak attack, even though he has not been put in a great position to succeed by the management. For example, selling his best player out from under him without telling him two days before it happened is, like we said, not great. Do you think that Yakini should have been confirmed for this year? You know, I have uh, these types of conversations quite often with uh, Alessandro Sisto, who's the president of Viola Club New York, uh, a highly influential person inside of uh, the Viola Clubs. We, we talk about this quite often, and, and we share the same sentiment. No, I think if we are truly an ambitious club, Beppe should not have been reconfirmed. At the same time, I'll go a step further. Why Kappa is our kit manufacturer irks me as, as well. Why we went to a small-time Italian kit manufacturer for a club that has all of these lofty ambitions, I go to their site, I still can't find Fiorentina clothes on there. Back to your question, though, you know, so he was reconfirmed. I don't believe that he should have been. We're at where we are now. I do want to say that I think he should stay here at least for the next few weeks, uh, next month and a half, which means that it could be a very tough time for Fiorentina fans again. We're used to it, you know. I mean, hey. this, is, this, is, <laughs> this is what I've you know, come to know and love uh, about this team, I guess. Um, glutton for punishment. But we can't go and just get another stopgap because that's what Beppe was supposed to be. He was supposed to be the stopgap until we can hire all of these huge names. The problem is those huge names are going to want transfer market guarantees. You know, they're going to want to know that they can invest 60, 70 million of new money into the market on top of players that they sell. And unfortunately, we don't really have much that we can sell these days with the contract situations of Milankovic and Petzela. You know, we're, we're, we're very not not in a very good place there. I, I think that Beppe should stay at least until mid-December. Hopefully his performances pick up. Hopefully the team plays better, but he doesn't have the players to fit his system, which is the other part. But the team that I saw today lacked enthusiasm, lacked excitement, lacked direction, lacked discipline, lacked, 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 lacked. Uh, and that's one of those things that makes it very hard as a Fiorentina fan to say this. But on the business side, I know that you can't bring in a Sari, You can't bring in a Spalletti. And neither one are, are free of their contracts yet. But you can't bring those people in to set them up for, for failure because they will fail, too, trying to turn over a 3-5-2 into their system with players they're not familiar with. Players getting used to that coach, a new system, it's going to take some time. Uh, and they're going to want to have their own players to fit into it. So. Why bring in a Sari and a Spalletti for two months 
to have them lose and have the fans turn on them is an absolutely horrible situation. So unfortunately, Beppe, I don't think is the right guy, but he's going to have to become a punching bag for the fans and the media uh, over the next month and a half, if not longer, uh, unless he turns it around, which at this point, I don't see him doing it. So, I mean, those are my thoughts. What are yours? That seems like a really good and succinct summary of what's going on. I mean, we, we heard that Fiorentino are after Roberto de Zerbi this summer. And given how Sassuolo had looked, that sure feels like a missed opportunity. But he did go ahead and sign an extension with them. De Zerbi was your top target. And then Sari, Spalletti were your other, the other guys you're interested in. You can't get any of them. Why make a sideways move from Yakini? So I, 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 get the, I get the decision-making to keep him, and I think it was absolutely the correct decision-making process. The results right now aren't following that, and I think that's a bummer, obviously. I don't really like watching this team right now. I don't think anyone does. But yeah, if, if you want Yakini out, what is the alternative? You bring in Davide Ballardini, and then you sack him in six weeks and bring Yakini back, and then sack him and bring back Ballardini. This isn't a Zamparini club. This isn't Palermo. Let him go till the new year. If Fiorentina are still averaging a point a game, it's time to bring out the hatchet. If they're sitting, you know, around 12th place, not in danger of relegation, probably not going to trouble the European places, just let him ride it out and then shake his hand, say thank you for your service at the end of the year, and off he goes into the sunset to bring someone else up from Serie B. You know, the, the, one, the one outcome that I see as probably being the best, knowing that we're through the Mercado and we have reconfirmed Yakini, is for Joe Barone and Rocco Camiso to sit down with Pepe and say, hey, listen, you know, we put a good faith effort. We brought you back. We wanted you and we still want you to be the guy. We understand you're a three-five-two guy, but we need you as your your managers, your supervisors. I'm the owner of the club, and and Joe heads up, you know, as the CEO of the organization. We need you as your boss. We're telling you to switch your system to a four-three-three, uh, a four-three-one-two, whatever you want it to be. There needs to be a back four, and there needs to be more positive play coming out of the midfield and better service into that. Uh, front group of, of players, whether whether it's going to be a couple forwards, whether it's going to be a, a striker and, and, and two wings. Again, it, there's, there's many different options, but the biggest issue right now I see, and I differ slightly from what everybody else is saying, I, I do believe that the forward play is not very good, but where I differ is the reason why. I actually think the midfield is the biggest issue on this club, and that is as a direct result of Beppe Ball. Beppe Ball is not allowing our very good midfield uh, talent to play as a unit to have a good outcome. And um, it's not going to get any better unless Rocco and Joe go and sit down and say, hey, listen, performance review, it's not working. Here's what we need you to do. Do this. We'll, we'll make it work through the end of the year. We'll reevaluate. If you haven't gotten any better in the 4-3-3, we'll wish you well. You still have your contract. We'll bring somebody else in. But we can't keep playing in this 3-5-2.
who would you like to see come in at the end of the year to replace Yakini, assuming that he doesn't lead this team on a ridiculous run? I think I know the answer. Go ahead and confirm it for me here. Whose villa you would like to be doing some interviews at? <laughs> I may actually change this up for you. And, and I know it's always been Spalletti. I, I, I just want to get over there and interview Spalletti. Uh, he, his family home isn't too far from Florence and, and, you know, hopefully he'll be able to invite us. We'll have a nice bottle of Brunello. I, I still think that he is a great option, a very good option, but I'm not seeing him take any type of effort to, to return to coaching and, and more specifically to return coaching inside of Tuscany and, and Florence. So I am going to change, and I guess it's who do I think uh, will be this the, the next coach. If we can wait until Christmas, if we can wait, hopefully into the end of the year would be best. I see Sari as being the best option, and there are several reasons why. He is moving to void his contract and buy himself out of the Juve situation. He has been in Florence recently taking some selfies with uh, some fans. And he did also make very public comments, somewhat controversial, knowing that there is a coach at, at Fiorentina, talking about how his mother lives eight minutes away from the stadium. Maybe it was his grandmother, I forget. But anyway, his mother or grandmother lives about eight minutes away from the stadium. Very big fans. You know, it was a big part of how he grew up. He loves the city of Florence. And the last point that I'll make is, Sorry Ball is much better than Beppe Ball for the city of, of Florence. The, the Fiorentina fans are much more used to somebody who has a style like Sorry than they are Beppe. They love and appreciate it, and, and that's what needs to be back. Unfortunately, you know, the one thing that may hold this up is why would Sorry come in to Florence other than his love of the city, love of Tuscany, and feeling somewhat nostalgic because we just sold our best player. Chiesa, a player that would do very, very well on, on his squad. And we're going to sell, very likely, Milankovic and potentially let Petzela walk out the door as well. So uh, I'm not exactly sure why somebody of his caliber would take over unless we start fixing some of these contractual issues and bringing in some talent. But that also goes back to the guarantees that he would go to Rocco and say, hey, listen, if you want me to come in, I do want 60 million euros, 70 million euros. You go figure out the financial fair play situation, but this is what you need to spend if I'm coming in. I should unmute myself. Sorry, it would be an amazing addition, I think. He definitely suits a lot of the personnel, particularly in the midfield. Uh, guys like Gaetano Castrovilli or Sofian Amrabat under Sari would probably be a lot of fun to watch. Let's also remember that Sari's favorite formation, generally speaking, has been a 4-3-1-2. Suits the personnel here quite well. You also get a guy like Jose Callejon, who has plenty of experience playing under Sari to help ease that transition. Of course, there are plenty of roadblocks to that. I will say something I would be interested in seeing is a non-Italian coach come in and bring some real fresh ideas. I mean, I don't think you're going to probably say Ralph Hassenhutl off of the south coast of England, but someone like that who brings that really holistic view in, not just as a coach, but for the whole organization. And I think that also gets to where we look at who comes in for Daniele Prade. I think my first choice would be a guy like Ralph Rangnick, who 
as you may recall, almost joined Milan over the summer, but then chose not to because the club backed Stefano Pioli, which, good for Pioli, top, top guy. Nothing but absolute respect for him. Very glad he kept his job after the after the work he's done there. He deserves everything good that comes to him. Just a really wonderful, wonderful human being. But that does mean that Rongnick is kind of kicking around, maybe looking for a project. And hey, buddy, you want a project? If we got a project for you, Ralphie boy, come on in. Take over for Prade. Rebuild the club culture. He brings a very different sort of profile than what we've seen in Florence. It's, he's very data-driven, which I don't think is the case under the current administration. I think we'd see a team much more focused on fitness, speed, quickness, and I'd love to see what he could build, build in Florence. I think he could do something really cool. Again, he's probably not all that interested, but I think someone like that who looks at the project holistically rather than a guy like Maurizio Sarri, who is a brilliant tactician and also in some ways just hysterically funny, like watching him eat a cigarette will never not entertain me. I I think that that, that what's really needed is someone who can take that top to bottom approach to the entire club and shake things up. And I think that someone like Ralph Rongnick could probably do it. If not, I think you need to look at that more German model where generally the the guy who's the DS is sort of the long-term architect. The, the club coach is there for maybe a few years, but is more interchangeable and doesn't matter as much and fits within that philosophy rather than stamping a philosophy on the club and hoping that radiates out. So to me, that kind of structure is what matters. I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Mike? Well, my first thought is, I don't know if you did this on purpose or if this was by accident. Did you purposely try to tie in Eddie Murphy delirious when he went Ralphie boy there? I would never. Our copyright lawyers wouldn't have it. <laughs> that's, where, that's where I just started going into that scene uh, uh, that, that Eddie Murphy had there. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think... Uh, when you start talking about, you know, our listeners and, and the value that they get out of this, it, it's a tremendous value that you have all of this knowledge about everything outside of Serie A and, and your knowledge of, you know, the coaches and the talent that are out there, the director of sport talent that's out there, because I sure don't know what's in Germany and, and England. So <laughs> they're going to they're certainly going to, to um, get so much value out of what you bring there. I honestly don't have much more that I can add on, on those types of guys, just because, as I said, I don't know them that well. But I think that your approach is absolutely spot on. Um, Rocco has talked about this for the longest time as being a project. And I think the project is still working towards a success. The immediacy of the successful project is something that has yet to be seen. And I think that part of that is just because we have the wrong people in places of talent right now. And Rocco is loyal, so he's not moving on from them just yet. So I, I think the, the methodology that in which you're approaching these types of people coming in is absolutely spot on. That's what we need to have to continue support and complement Rocco's vision and money for the club is somebody who's not just pretending that they can get it done. And rehashing what they've done before with the same talent can actually get somebody who can who can act out what they're talking about, which would be lovely to see uh, over the next few months to hopefully by June. 
Fortunately, though, our next segment does feature the right person for the right job. Stick around. We will be back after this. Hello, Viola Station listeners. Uh, this is Mike and Tito back again. Joined today with Stefano Del Corono, dear friend of ours over in Firenze. He heads up Fiorentina News and uh, has been a member who's actually helped us with some of our news and um, some thought leadership here over the past uh, really about 16, 18 months, I would say. So very, very grateful to have you here, Stefano. How are things going with you over in Firenze? Hi, Mike. Hi, Tito. And hi, everyone. Uh, everything is fine in, in Florence, even if it's not a great moment for the world, too. Not, not only for us in Florence. There's a particular situation. We are trying to go over this, this problem of coronavirus. And we are trying to, to solve all, all these problems. I'm sure a lot of these problems are ones that you can head up and fix. If that was the case, we'd be in a lot better spot here right now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know yeah. some of our readers are very familiar with you on some of the pieces we've done in the past, but what you do with Fiorentina News. Yes, I'm, I'm the responsible of the of Fiorentina News. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the editor too. It's it's great work because uh, I'm a Fiorentina fan. First of all, for me, being close to to our team is is, is a pleasure and uh, is a is a great team. It's a dream come true. I mean, it's not easy. It's not it's not an easy job for us, but uh, because we we stay close to the team for forty hours for fourteen hours in the day, uh, but. Uh, but it's it's a good pleasure too. So this is this is fine for me. How did that dream come about for you? How did you end up becoming a, a writer for Fiorentina? And it's it was a particular situation because I, I was at the stadium and I was watching the match uh, uh, between Fiorentina and Inter. It was uh, the two key uh, to, to twenty years ago. I mean, a lot of time. During this match, there was a sponsorship that appears on the on the score table, and yeah. there was <laughs> that was the the born of Fiorentinanews.com. I contacted the the responsible of the of this site, and after seven days, I will uh, I was in, and that that, that was. Uh, beginning of my adventure in Trentino's 20 years later, I'm here. <laughs> so. Yeah, here in the United States, they say, uh, and the rest is history. Yeah, and the rest is history, okay. <laughs> the rest is history. So that's great, that's great. You know, as, as we're doing something similar to you guys, we're, we're not reporting news, we're, we're kind of commenting, sharing, and, you know, putting a little bit of a, a spin on it, going a little bit deeper, I would say, on our site, uh, which we leverage a lot of what you guys are doing uh, and reporting there locally. One of the hardest things that I've had coming from being that Fiorentina fan to now being somebody who's writing professionally, even though I'm still an amateur, is, is separating being a fan from wanting to be realistic uh, with what we're talking about and how we're uh, communicating with our readers. How has that been for you? Because I know that uh, every time I come uh, over to the stadium, you have your, your seat, you know, the second one from the left, right in the front of the media room. So 
So you're pretty much at every event, commenting on every game, speaking with all the coaches, with all the players. But you are, as you said, a fan first and foremost. Well, the, the most difficult part is right what you said. The most difficult part is separating the the, the part of Fiorentina fan uh, and be realistic when when you write an article. This is this is difficult, but that, that, that's what we got, what we had to do to be to be perfect with with your reader. The journalist uh, is a thing. Being a fan is another thing. I know. I know. What can, can what can I? What what do you have to do over this? No, it makes perfect sense. Through your years, do you have a favorite interview that you've done? Do you have a favorite coach, favorite player? Sure, should I? Yeah. And Yakin is not my my favorite coach. I mean, that, that I, I want I want to be clear with you. Uh, I love Prandelli during yeah. his experience in Florence. Uh, he's been here for four uh, years, and that's what that was a wonderful period for us. Uh, I love Montella in the, in the first part of his adventure, obviously. Not not in the second part, that it's a bit terrible. Players, uh, <laughs> a number of players. Uh, is incredible. Uh, I mean, Batistuta, Ricosta, Edmundo, Moto, Tony. <laughs> I can I can go on with this list for for two or three hours. In in this moment, we have Ribery. Uh, Ribery is a good player. One, one with class, with the class or, um, over dominion, very over dominion. I'm I'm curious about Amrabat. But I, I, I wouldn't like that Yakini is with the Posa. I mean, I'm using Italian. I don't know if you, if you can understand. <laughs> no worries. No uh, you don't like how Amberbat's being used. No, he's, he's trying to use him in, in, a, in a role that is not, and is not his property. He's using him as a playmaker and is not a playmaker. No, that's the, the greatest problem in this moment. And, you know, when you mentioned Amrabat, I think that transitions us very nicely into the Mercato. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about Fiorentina's Mercato this summer altogether? Was it a good one? Was it a bad one? <sighs> it's a difficult, <laughs> it's a difficult thing for me to, to speak about, but well, Amrabat is a great is a great player. The problem is that he's not playing in his, in his proper role. Bonaventura is a good good player too. Callejon even better. But there are another problem that is not met uh, by the Fiorentina society, Fiorentina club. Yakini asked for uh, a playmaker and a striker. And we are without playmaker and the striker too. There's an incomplete Fiorentina in this moment. This is the biggest problem of the last market. And um, probably this problem uh, could be conditioned the the season of Fiorentina. We don't have two strategic players for the uh, for Yakini's game for Yakini uh, for Yakini's lineup. 
So in, in your opinion, does that speak more towards Prade not doing a sufficient job, or does that speak more towards the team not fully buying into Beppe Acchini? The job of Prade uh, is, not, uh, is not sufficient because uh, we have an incomplete team. Uh, so he didn't, didn't do the, the job that was requested by him. Yeah, and that seems to be like one of those things where is, is it the chicken or is it the egg? Is it Prade not doing his job? Is it Beppe uh, not being supported by the club? And, and, and I'm with you. I think that looking at the way that we started out, we had quite a few Bozeman players coming in, which looked really good, understanding that hopefully we would support it on the back end with either keeping all three uh, or if we lost one of them, including Chiesa, we'd be able to, to support it with young talent. We recently did our reviews of the Mercado. My biggest takeaway was that we didn't purchase young talent. The thing that I think we're going to miss the most is not picking up a player like Richie uh, over at Empoli. What was the biggest miss for you? Was it not having that striker, that forward? Was it not getting some young talent, replacing Chiesa? What do you think? Well, uh, I, agree, I agree with your, uh, with your opinion. The first problem I repeat was that we are we are a striker and we don't playmaker. This is the first problem, and and then we have a, another problem too. One is is we are not with young talent for a future project. We bought players that are ready for for the moment, but you have uh, two or three seasons to go on with with these players like Callejon Bonaventura. Is, is just old, <laughs> we already know it. And this is a, a, another, another mistake committed by the, the, the directors of Fiorentina. And then we, have, we, have, we also had the, the Chiesa's case. You couldn't sell a player like this the last day of market. You have to prepare with months, uh, in, uh, months before. You have to to be ready in the right moment to have a substitute of him, not at the last day of the market, two or three, or three months before. This was the, the right way to, to meet the, this kind of operation in the market. So that, that seems like the biggest mistake to you is not having a plan for Chiesa leaving, not that he left, but that... Yeah. yeah. Okay, that, yeah. I agree with you. I think that was a sin, not being ready for that. That was I was trying to explain. Yeah, with players so so important, you you cannot sell him uh, at the last day of the market. No player like him, with his with his strength, with his ability to change a game by himself, came in. I think that Callejon, very good player, but not the same kind of player. He's a very different player. No, no, he's a different player, right? He is good for, uh, I don't know if, if, if you use this kind of terminology, uh, for 3-3 three, three players, 4-3-3 uh, three, three lineup. He's good for him, for, for this kind of, uh, of play. I mean, I, I am curious to, be, to, to, to watch, like um, Yakini will uh, use him uh, in the future. He will be in the pitch maybe just tomorrow. And he, he, could, he, he can't do what Keza did uh, in the past because there, there are a lot of differences between, uh, he, between him and Keza. 
So I'm curious, I'm curious, but this could be a problem, a big problem for Fiorentina too, yeah. The, the, the three or four that we have already spoken to in his interview. What do you think about the other forwards? Do you think that Kwame and Vlaovic and Kutrone are good enough as strikers? I hope that one striker... I think that one striker was necessary for Fiorentina. Uh, but in, in this moment, we we have two, these three these three players, and we have to use one of these. The most important of these uh, three players for me is Vlaovic, the, the most talented one. I mean, but it's a bet. He is a bet, and he's a bet like uh, <laughs> I mean, Kutronetu. We have to be lucky in this season because we we don't have a real striker in, in our forward. Maybe. With a with a lot of with a lot of confidence, well, which uh, could be one one good replacement. But I, I, I underline replacement, not a real strike. You're at least making Mike very happy. He loves Dusan Vlaovic like his son. <laughs> so at least we have that, right, Mike? <laughs> that is so true. So true. So understanding uh, what kind of just played out here, we had a Mercado that didn't really fit the system for Beppe. We have wings that don't fit the system for Beppe. We don't even necessarily have a forward, a striker that can fit the system for Beppe. Do we stick with a 3-5-2 then, or do you see us changing? And will we only change after another couple losses? The 3-5-2 system won't be changed. I mean, that's, that way. That, that's what we understood. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why, I don't, I don't know why. Uh, you 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 haven't players for this kind of system. Kayon is not good with it. Amrabat is not good with it. Um, Yakini must be open, more open-minded in this kind of system. He has to to try to, to change Fiorentina, but I don't know if he will be it. We will try to do it. You know, it's interesting because. I don't know, maybe two or three episodes ago, we had uh, Antonio Cincota on, who is the coach of Fiorentina Feminelle, and, and you know how big of a fan I am and, and keep trying to get you to, to uh, go to a game, uh, which I will. Next time I'm over there, you're going to be joining me. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he, he definitely talked a different approach to coaching, which I think is, is interesting. And, and certainly men's soccer, football is, is different than, than women's football, but you know, he talked about changing up his formations just as some of these players came in during the transfer window because that was their strength. You know, it didn't necessarily have to be his strength and his formation. It's leveraging the strengths of the players. At some point, I, I would imagine some of that should hopefully filter over to Beppe and get him to change because I do believe if we go to a 4-3-3, this is a team that could be top seven, top eight with the talent that we have. Do you agree? Well, I, I don't know if you know it, but I'm a coach too. Even with a, <laughs> a, a not strong team and the, and the young, and I work with youngest team. I'm I'm closer to Chincotta's mentality than Yakimov's mentality, and I'm open-minded. The first the, the first uh, the first thing that that a coach must see is what kind of players you are, you have in your team? What are their their particular particularities? 
uh, what are the, the, the characteristics. And then you, you have to, to adapt your, your, kind of, your kind of play with the, the characteristics of your players. This is the first rule, I mean. Yakini uh, is, is not close to, to this mentality. And I don't know why, because this is not the first year that Yakini is, is a coach. He's working uh, for uh, 20 years, maybe, in, on the bench. I find his mentality very restricted. Agreed. I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think that uh, all of us are probably on the same page here, which is good. I'm glad we don't have to argue about anything. <laughs> okay. Next time that we see, I will offer a pizza, okay? No, no, this is great. This is really <laughs> nice. I like that we can all get along. Man, well, I'm happy. I'm happy. <laughs> really happy. But, uh... You know, if, if we're going to talk about everyone getting along and going in the same direction, what yeah. else could we talk about but the stadium where everyone is going <laughs> in exactly different directions? Yeah. What, what's the latest you've heard on that? Uh, well, that, there's no day that Comiso don't, don't speak about the stadium. It's, it's a particular situation. I, I know uh, you, you are in the United States, and United States, the, the rules are, are really different. Um, Italy has biggest problem of bureaucracy, and with bureaucracy, Commisso <laughs> has found a, a big wall, a big wall to, to overtake. I hope, I hope that Commisso uh, will find a solution there are uh, two options for him. The first one is to rebuild the, the Frankie Stadium, and the second one is, is building uh, a new stadium in Campi Bizenzio, a city very close to Florence. In this moment, we, we, didn't, uh, we don't understand uh, what Commisso has in, uh, in his mind. Which is, uh, we don't know which is the first option for Commisso. We must understand this before uh, to go on with, with, this, uh, with this argument. And my hope is that Fiorentina will build, uh, will build uh, a new stadium at the place of uh, Artemio Frank. Because I live very close to Artemio Frank Stadium. It's uh, an important uh, part of the city, an, an historical part of the city. My hope is this, and I, and I hope that Comiso would be a great, a great job with it. So one of the other options that we've seen recently, and it seems like uh, Mayor Nardella may have even mentioned, I don't know if the word proposed is, is right, but the uh, Rodolfi uh, Rugby Stadium yeah. uh, is another potential site to tear that down and build up Fiorentina's new stadium at. I've only been past it twice. I walked into it once as I was walking back from the Central Sportivo Davide Story to my hotel. It, it, it is smaller. I don't want to say much smaller, but it is definitely smaller than uh, the Artemio Franchi. We've also heard probably about two weeks ago that Rocco said if he's going to rebuild at the Franchi, he needs to shift the stadium in, you know, 50, 100 yards to support the amount of office business, you know, structure space that, that he'd need for, for revenue. You know that area much better than we do. Is, is the Rodolfi Stadium a realistic option 
to have enough space as well as to build a you know forty forty three thousand dollar or forty forty three thousand uh, person stadium. No, it's, it's not. I don't think it's, it's a good solution. The, the part of uh, of uh, Stadium is even smaller than the part in, uh, in which we find the Artemis Franke Stadium. The real option is to dis destroy mm -hmm. the, the, the stadium. I yep. use the, the same the same verb that Musa used two or three weeks ago to destroy the stadium and build rebuild this, the new the new stadium at the place now. And and they've made a big deal about having the tower, which I, I agree, the tower is beautiful, but the, the stairs, the spiral stairs, uh, seems to be one of those things that the superintendent made a big deal of and, and now has been a running joke with a lot of the, uh, uh, with a lot of the fans. What are your thoughts on these stairs? You know, I've never actually seen anybody come to the stadium either during or not during a game and ask to take a picture with the stairs in the backdrop. The spiral stairs, the, the spiral yeah. stairs, and the Maratona's tower. Yeah, the two elements, uh, two more, the two important elements of the, of the old stadium. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not easy for for us to speak about this because this is a, an Italian mentality. But uh, we have an history. We are trying to preserve it. We are jealous. We are jealous of it. Speaking of, I'm not only speaking of the spiral stairs or Maratona Tower. I'm speaking in general for Florence. You watch the Palazzo Vecchio, you watch, uh, you visited the Casa del Duomo. So yep. The, the most important part of, of Florence. There's an history and we are trying to preserve it. But I'm not agree with, with the superintendents uh, in this part of the stadium. Uh, a stadium is a stadium, it's not a monument. And we have to go over with, mental, with this mentality. No, I, I absolutely agree. You know, looking forward, uh, one of the other rumors that seems to be out there these days is, you know, Beppe is still here, but uh, now we have Sari, who's going through the process of extinguishing his contract with Juventus. Do you think that there's a real possibility that Sari can join the club? Not in this moment. Sari could be a good name uh, in the next summer, at the end of the season. But if Fiorentina, will, uh, if Fiorentina wants to have Sari with him, must build a, a very important, uh, very important team. One of the, the biggest team uh, in our championship must show him uh, an important project for the future, because Sari just has got has got one of the most important uh, coaches in Italy, and he wants to to stay there. In the, in the first uh, three or four teams uh, in our championship, and maybe in Europe with with, with his team. In this moment, uh, is not a good name. I, I think he, he won't accept uh, any other team uh, during this season. But first of all, he, he must solve his problem with the Juventus. Without, uh, yeah. if if uh, he don't solve it, he can go anywhere. 
No, I absolutely agree. And uh, the other name that we hear is, is Spalletti. So uh, in your opinion, is anyone more realistic than the other? I think that what I was, I was seeing with uh, Sarri could be the same for, for Spalletti. Yeah, makes sense. The same, exactly, the same uh, exactly things. You know, one of the things we're trying to do with our site, because we have a lot of global listeners, not only here in North America, but uh, all throughout Europe, Asia, South America. So we have a lot of people who travel, not, you know, live uh, inside of uh, Florence and, and Tuscany. So we're trying to get some more exposure of what's going on in Florence that they can experience themselves. And, and we're reaching out to a lot of the museums to get them to come in here and, and put together some pieces. But, you know, you're, you're an interesting individual because you've, you've spent a lot of times, uh, a lot of years covering Fiorentina, but you're also potentially even more well-known for covering women's volleyball. Do you mind telling us a little bit about uh, women's volleyball, the, the state of women's volleyball, professional women's volleyball in Italy, particularly in Tuscany? And, uh, you know, just give us a little bit of insight of why it is so big. Well, uh, let's talk about the sports situation in Italy that is particular. We have a sport, the most important sport is, is football, okay, or soccer, as you prefer. But there's a difference between male and females. Football is, is, is the most important sport for males. In the female world, we have volleyball in the first position and then all the, all the other sports. I cover, I cover the part of women's volleyball and uh, I, I do it for pleasure because it's a great sport for me to watch. <laughs> the reality, the reality in uh, Florence uh, is that we have two teams in uh, the most important uh, championship, in, championship in Italy. The first one is uh, Il Bisonti Firenze and the second is uh, Savino del Benescandici. I cover uh, both teams. We have two competitive teams, but I, um, I hope that we'll be, I don't, I don't know, as you say, Fusione, Fusion. Bringing them, fusing them together. Yeah, we yep. want with one competitive team. We Florence could be could be at the top of the, the Italian Championship as as it was in the past, because Firenze yep. won seven uh, seven uh, championships. As can be true, with one competitive team, we can be uh, we could be at the same level of the best. So now, are they competing on a national level against teams from, say, Roma? It's not the most important championship. There are a lot of uh, clubs of Northern Italy that are competitive. There's Conegliano. Uh, there's a little town in uh, Veneto. And then all the rest. Conegliano is like Juventus for... Makes perfect sense. And one interesting thing is Il Bacenti has a pretty unique flamboyant owner um, Mike, is that I, I correct don't see you, i don't see you anymore i don't know why <laughs> it, it it did disconnect here for some reason uh but we're still good tell me a little bit about him Who, who's uh who's more interesting wani or uh rocco <laughs> wani is characteristic it's, it's funny. It's just a little, a little bit crazy. 
Uh, Rocco is funny too, but it's more, but it is more concrete than than Vanni. Yep. They both uh, have great great plans for for this team. They are particularly focused in infrastructure. Infrastructure. Vanni is building a new palace for for his team. He's trying to build a new palace for him for his team and. Uh, Rocco wants wants uh, to to build a stadium for Fiorentina. This is a, a common characteristic with with both uh, with both presidents, with both owners. Vanni has the particularity that he, he goes out with with colored clothes, but yep. in, in in a strange way that I I, I didn't see in my life. He's definitely an interesting character, somebody that uh, uh, I, I would love to be able to have his flair for the dramatic as uh, as he picks out his fashion. Uh, I can definitely admire that. My wife would tell you that I have my peacocking moments at time, too. So, <laughs> All right. So, Stefano, we definitely appreciate you taking the time. I just want to let our readers know, again, you know, Stefano Del Corona, uh, who heads up FiorentinaNews.com, can follow them online on their website facebook i believe you guys have a twitter now right yeah since the um, 20th of july that's right so uh you can follow them on twitter a lot of international people do have the twitter we have a lot of followers there so we'll direct our uh, uh, our listeners and followers to follow you on facebook and twitter as well as we'll hopefully be able to hear back from you again here soon uh, whether it's on uh, a podcast or bringing it back for another piece uh, every once in a while, uh, as we've appreciated your great insight, uh, all the information you've been able to bring to us and our readers. It's been, it's been very, very helpful for us um, to deliver maximum value. So with that being said, Stefano, is there anything else that you wanted to add or let our listeners, readers know? What, what, what can I say? <laughs> Uh, the, the, one, the one thing that, that I can say anymore uh, is that follow Fiorentina News, follow me. I don't know. I don't know what what can I say more than that we have uh, already talked. Perfect. Uh, that's right. Stefano is on Facebook. You can follow him as I do. So if you're if you're connected to me on Facebook, I'll be able to put you in his direction. Uh, he's always putting up good pictures with great comments. Always one of the first people reporting things. So we always uh, appreciate that. Thank you, Stefano, very much for your time. We greatly appreciate it today. And hopefully tomorrow, it'll be a good showing from our boys. Forza Viola. Forza Viola, always Forza Viola. station is hosted by Mike and Tito. Tito also produced this episode. Grazie mille to our guest Stefano Del Perugno, editor-in-chief of PurantinaNews.com. Our theme song is Great Catch by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the podcast from violanation.com. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola.
Sports Social Podcast Network.